Chapter Twenty of the Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Life and Adventures of Sir Lancelot Greaves by Tobias Smollett. Chapter Twenty in which our hero descends into the mansion of the damned. The first step which Sir Lancelot took in the morning that succeeded his arrival in London was to settle Mrs. Dolly Cowslip in lodgings at the house where John Clump had promised to visit her, as he did not doubt that, though the visit was delayed, it would some time or other be performed, and in that case he might obtain some intelligence of Aurelia. Mr. Thomas Clark was permitted to take up his habitation in the same house, on his earnestly desiring he might be entrusted with the office of conveying information and instruction between Dolly and our adventurer. The knight himself resolved to live retired, until he should receive some tidings relating to Miss Darnell that should influence his conduct, but he proposed to frequent places of public resort incognito, that he might have some chance of meeting by accident with the mistress of his heart. Taking it for granted that the oddities of Crow would help to amuse him in his hours of solitude and disappointment, he invited that original to be his guest at a small house, which he determined to hire ready furnished, in the neighbourhood of Golden Square. The captain thanked him for his courtesy, and frankly embraced his offer, though he did not much approve of the knight's choice in point of situation. He said he would recommend him to a special good upper deck hard by St. Catherine's in Wapping, where he would be delighted with the prospect of the street forwards, well frequented by passengers, carts, drays, and other carriages, and having backwards an agreeable view of Alderman Parsons' great brew-house, with two hundred hogs feeding almost under the window. As a further inducement, he mentioned the vicinity of the tower guns, which would regale his hearing on days of salutation. Nor did he forget the sweet sound of mooring and unmooring ships in the river, and the pleasing objects on the other side of the Thames, displayed in the oozy docks and cabbage gardens of Rotherhithe. Sir Lancelot was not insensible to the beauties of this landscape, but, his pursuit lying another way, he contented himself with a less enchanting situation, and Crow accompanied him out of pure friendship. At night, Mr. Clark arrived at our hero's house with tidings that were by no means agreeable. He told him that Clump had left a letter for Dolly, informing her that his master, Squire Darnell, was to set out early in the morning for Yorkshire, but he could give no account of her lady, who had the day before been conveyed, he knew not whither, in a hackney coach, attended by her uncle, and an ill-looking fellow, who had much the appearance of a bailiff or turnkey, so that he feared she was in trouble. Sir Lancelot was deeply affected by this intimation. His apprehension was even roused by a suspicion that a man of Darnell's violent temper and unprincipled heart might have practised upon the life of his lovely niece. But, upon recollection, 
he could not suppose that he had recourse to such infamous expedients knowing as he did that an account of her would be demanded at his hands and that it would be easily proved he had conveyed her from the lodging in which she resided his first fears now gave way to another suggestion that anthony in order to intimidate her into a compliance with his proposals had trumped up a spurious claim against her and by virtue of a writ confined her in some prison or sponging-house possessed with this idea he desired mr clark to search the sheriff's office in the morning that he might know whether any such writ had been granted and he himself resolved to make a tour of the great prisons belonging to the metropolis to inquire if perchance she might not be confined under a borrowed name finally he determined if possible to apprise her of his place of abode by a paragraph in all the daily papers signifying that sir lancelot greaves had arrived at his house near golden square all these resolutions were punctually executed no such writ had been taken out in the sheriff's office and therefore our hero set out on his jail expedition accompanied by mr clark who had contracted some acquaintance with the commanding officers in these garrisons in the course of his clerkship and practice as an attorney the first day they spent in prosecuting their inquiry through the gatehouse fleet and marshalsea the next day they allotted to the king's bench where they understood there was a great variety of prisoners there they proposed to make a minute scrutiny by the help of mr norton the deputy marshal who was mr clark's intimate friend and had nothing at all of the jailer either in his appearance or in his disposition which was remarkably humane and benevolent towards all his fellow-creatures the knight having bespoke dinner at a tavern in the borough was together with captain crow conducted to the prison of the king's bench which is situated in st george's fields about a mile from the end of westminster bridge and appears like a neat little regular town consisting of one street surrounded by a very high wall including an open piece of ground which may be termed a garden where the prisoners take the air and amuse themselves with a variety of diversions except the entrance where the turnkeys keep watch and ward there is nothing in the place that looks like a jail or bears the least colour of restraint the street is crowded with passengers tradesmen of all kinds here exercise their different professions hawkers of all sorts are admitted to call and vend their wares as in any open street of london here are butchers stands chandlers shops a surgery a tap-house well frequented and a public kitchen in which provisions are dressed for all the prisoners gratis at the expense of the publican here the voice of misery never complains and indeed little else is to be heard but the sounds of mirth and jollity at the farther end of the street on the right hand is a little paved court leading to a separate building consisting of twelve large apartments called state rooms well furnished and fitted up for the reception of the better sort of crown prisoners 
and on the other side of the street facing a separate division of ground called the common side is a range of rooms occupied by prisoners of the lowest order who share the profits of a begging box and are maintained by this practice and some established funds of charity we ought also to observe that the jail is provided with a neat chapel in which a clergyman in consideration of a certain salary performs divine service every sunday our adventurer having searched the books and perused the description of all the female prisoners who had been for some weeks admitted into the jail obtained not the least intelligence of his concealed charmer but resolved to alleviate his disappointment by the gratification of his curiosity under the auspices of mr norton he made a tour of the prison and in particular visited the kitchen where he saw a number of spits loaded with a variety of provision consisting of butcher's meat poultry and game he could not help expressing his astonishment with uplifted hands and congratulating himself in secret upon his being a member of that community which had provided such a comfortable asylum for the unfortunate his ejaculation was interrupted by a tumultuous noise in the street and mr norton declaring he was sent for to the lodge consigned our hero to the care of one mr felton a prisoner of a very decent appearance who paid his compliments with a good grace and invited the company to repose themselves in his apartment which was large commodious and well furnished when sir launcelot asked the cause of that uproar he told him that it was the prelude to a boxing match between two of the prisoners to be decided in the ground or garden of the place captain crow expressing an eager curiosity to see the battle mr felton assured him there would be no sport as the combatants were both reckoned dunghills but in half an hour said he there will be a battle of some consequence between two of the demagogues of the place dr crabclaw and mr tapley the first a physician and the other a brewer you must know gentlemen that this microcosm or republic in miniature is like the great world split into factions crabclaw is the leader of one party and the other is headed by tapley both are men of warm and impetuous tempers and their intrigues have embroiled the whole place insomuch that it was dangerous to walk the street on account of the continual skirmishes of their partisans at length some of the more sedate inhabitants having met and deliberated upon some remedy for these growing disorders proposed that the dispute should be at once decided by single combat between the two chiefs who readily agreed to the proposal the match was accordingly made for five guineas and this very day and hour appointed for the trial on which considerable sums of money are depending as for mr norton it is not proper that he should be present or seem to countenance such violent proceedings which however it is necessary to connive at as convenient vents for the evaporation of those humours which being confined might accumulate and break out with greater fury in conspiracy and rebellion 
the knight owned he could not conceive by what means such a number of licentious people amounting with their dependents to above five hundred were restrained within the bounds of any tolerable discipline or prevented from making their escape which they might at any time accomplish either by stealth or open violence as it could not be supposed that one or two turnkeys continually employed in opening and shutting the door could resist the efforts of a whole multitude your wonder good sir said mr felton will vanish when you consider it is hardly possible that the multitude should cooperate in the execution of such a scheme and that the keeper perfectly well understands the maxim divide et impera many prisoners are restrained by the dictates of gratitude towards the deputy marshal whose friendship and good offices they have experienced some no doubt are actuated by motives of discretion one party is an effectual check upon the other and i am firmly persuaded that there are not ten prisoners within the place that would make their escape if the doors were laid open this is a step which no man would take unless his fortune was altogether desperate because it would oblige him to leave his country for life and expose him to the most imminent risk of being retaken and treated with the utmost severity the majority of the prisoners live in the most lively hope of being released by the assistance of their friends the compassion of their creditors or the favour of the legislature some who are cut off from all these proposals are become naturalised to the place knowing they cannot subsist in any other situation i myself are one of these after having resigned all my effects for the benefit of my creditors i have been detained these nine years in prison because one person refuses to sign my certificate i have long outlived all my friends from whom i could expect the least countenance or favour i am grown old in confinement and lay my account with ending my days in jail as the mercy of the legislature in favour of insolvent debtors is never extended to uncertified bankrupts taken in execution by dint of industry and the most rigid economy i make shift to live independent in this retreat to this scene my faculty of subsisting as well as my body is peculiarly confined had i an opportunity to escape where should i go all my views of fortune have been long blasted i have no friends nor connections in the world i must therefore starve in some sequestered corner or be recaptivated and confined for ever to close prison deprived of the indulgences which i now enjoy here the conversation was broke off by another uproar which was the signal to battle between the doctor and his antagonist the company immediately adjourned to the field where the combatants were already undressed and the stakes deposited the doctor seemed of the middle age and middle stature active and alert with an atrabilious aspect and a mixture of rage and disdain expressed in his countenance the brewer was large raw-boned and round as a butt of beer but very fat unwieldy short-winded and phlegmatic our adventurer was not a little surprised when he beheld 
in the character of seconds, a male and female stripped naked from the waist upwards, the latter ranging on the side of the physician. But the commencement of the battle prevented his demanding of his guide an explanation of this phenomenon. The doctor, retiring some paces backwards, threw himself into the attitude of a battering-ram, and rushed upon his antagonist with great impetuosity, foreseeing that, should he have the good fortune to overturn him in the first assault, it would not be an easy task to raise him up again and put him in a capacity of offence. But the momentum of Crabclaw's head, and the concomitant efforts of his knuckles, had no effect upon the ribs of Tapley, who stood firm as the Acroceronian promontory, and stepping forward with his projected fist, something smaller and softer than a sledge-hammer, struck the physician to the ground. In a trice, however, by the assistance of his female second, he was on his legs again, and grappling with his antagonist, endeavoured to tip him a fall. But instead of accomplishing his purpose, he received a cross-buttock, and the brewer throwing himself upon him as he fell, had well-nigh smothered him on the spot. The Amazon flew to his assistance, and Tapley, showing no inclination to get up, she smote him on the temple till he roared. The male second, hastening to the relief of his principal, made application to the eyes of the female, which were immediately surrounded with black circles, and she returned the salute with a blow, which brought a double stream of blood from his nostrils, greeting him at the same time with the opprobrious appellation of a lousy sung of a b A combat more furious than the first would now have ensued, had not Felton interposed with an air of authority, and insisted on the man's leaving the field, an injunction which he forthwith obeyed, saying, Well, damn, Felton, you are my friend and commander. I'll obey your order, but the b will be foul of me before we sleep. Then Felton advancing to his opponent. Madam, said he, I am very sorry to see a lady of your rank and qualifications expose yourself in this manner. For God's sake, behave with a little more decorum, if not for the sake of your own family, at least for the credit of your sex in general. Hark ye, Felton, said she, decorum is founded upon a delicacy of sentiment and deportment, which cannot consist with the disgraces of a jail and the miseries of indigence. But I see the dispute is now terminated, and the money is to be drank. If you'll dine with us, you shall be welcome. If not, you may die in your sobriety, and he damned. By this time, the doctor had given out, and allowed the brewer to be the better man. Yet he would not honour the festival with his presence, but retired to his chamber, exceedingly mortified at his defeat. Our hero was reconducted to Mr. Felton's apartment, where he sat some time without opening his mouth, so astonished he was at what he had seen and heard. "'I perceive, sir,' said the prisoner, "'you are surprised at the manner in which I accosted that unhappy woman, and perhaps you will be more surprised when you hear that within these eighteen months she was actually a person of fashion, and her opponent—' who by the by is her husband, universally respected as a man of honour and a brave officer. "'I am indeed!' cried our hero. 
overwhelmed with amazement and concern as well as stimulated by an eager curiosity to know the fatal causes which have produced such a reverse of character and fortune but i will rein my curiosity till the afternoon if you will favour me with your company at a tavern in the neighbourhood where i have bespoke dinner a favour which i hope mr norton will have no objection to your granting as he himself is to be of the party the prisoner thanked him for his kind invitation and they adjourned immediately to the place taking up the deputy marshal in their passage through the lodge or entrance of the prison End of chapter 20